You are listening to the Real Faith Stories Podcast. Interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Paul, my brother from another mother, welcome to Real Faith Stories. Thank you. So good to have you on the program. I'm just going to read verbatim the answer to a question you gave me, and that is, after nine years of some major life challenges that included my wife's chronic illness and losing everything, I had an encounter with God that shook me to the core. My wife was radically healed, and a new dimension of knowing God, hearing His voice, and seeing healing opened up. Wow, we're going to go somewhere, aren't we? I hope so. (laughs) After that, we better. (laughs) We're just diving right in, huh? (laughs) We're diving right in, Paul. So before we go down that path, I'd love for you to share a bit about yourself, your backstory, and then lead us into what happened after that nine-year period and what God wound up accomplishing in your life. Absolutely. My dad was a pastor growing up, and so I grew up in a ministry family, and I think that a lot of my life, I really had a sense at a young age, because you're always reminded of that when you're in a ministry family, that there's a calling on your life. And for me, the obvious thing was I'm going to do what I've seen my dad do or what I've seen the leaders do around me growing up. And so God was always a part of life in that way. I think that I knew the word of God in extraordinary detail, a lot of scripture memorization and all those other things. I was really grounded in those things. And so what ended up happening is I, I think probably like a lot of young people kind of walked away from church for a bit. In my 20s, I really had kind of an initial encounter with God that was like, oh, God's real, and I'm owning this for the first time. And that wasn't really until I was almost 26 years old that I had that encounter where, okay, this is mine, and and I'm all in, which led me to being recruited to work on staff at a church that I'd been volunteering at. I'd already started a career in internet marketing, and this is in its infancy. We're talking about like 1998, 1999. And so I had already started a career in internet marketing, and there was a lot of success that was already happening, but I always knew that there was a deep longing for what I believe that God had called me to. And so it made sense that what that looked like, at least initially, was going on staff at a church. And so we really what we had done is I'd had my paycheck basically cut in half to go by faith into ministry. But what ended up happening is I just got married. We were a year into our marriage when my wife was started having all these weird pains in her body. And we didn't know what it was. And so really what they end up doing initially is they say fibromyalgia. This is basically the diagnosis that they'll give people. And there's probably somebody listening right now that if you don't have it, you've probably heard of it. But really when they don't know what to call it, they'll call it that. But what ended up happening over the years, because we really, we were all in in ministry in every kind of way imaginable. So we're being as faithful as we believe that we could be. And probably for the first time in my life that I was like, man, I am all in with you, Jesus, whatever you call us to do, you send us to Africa or whatever, like we're all in. But what ended up happening, and and I saw a lot of amazing things, God doing amazing things. Our church was growing, but our church was growing with people who were giving their lives to Jesus, not just simply coming from other churches and all this. And I ended up working for three of the fastest growing churches in the United States at that time. It was different seasons that we're going through, but I'm watching my wife. And as much as we're seeing God do through us, 
what I'm watching in my wife's health is it's deteriorating so much that she wasn't able to get off of the couch. We're in Florida and I'm working with a church down there. God's doing his thing, blowing it up. And meanwhile, I'm watching my own home implode, not from a marriage standpoint, but here's my wife and I'm having to bathe her. We have two small kids. So I'm bringing my wife to the doctor at least three times a week working probably 50 hours a week with church-related stuff and then trying to take care of two small kids. And my wife can't really do much of anything until like two o'clock in the afternoon where our medicines kicked in enough where she can function. But this had become life. Wow. And what ends up happening is she goes into the hospital for a routine gallbladder surgery. Well, we didn't know that when she got checked into the hospital, we were going to be hospitalized for weeks. She almost died. About everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And it was during that time that I just told God, I was like, family's got to be number one priority. And obviously, I can't do ministry like I've been doing it up to now, where a family bites the bullet because I was working six days a week. And the other thing was, is that we needed God to show up in a way that we'd never seen before. And I didn't know how that was going to look or, or any of those other things. But what ends up happening is we moved to California. This is 2008. Took a job with a mega church over there. And that sounded really safe because they had a program that they had not really gotten off the ground and stable. And what I was thinking was San Diego was like, hey, you know what? The everything that I'd read about chronic illness is if you can get into a stable climate, that maybe you can bounce back. And we'd find better medical treatment in California for sure. Well, what I wasn't prepared for was four months later, I would get laid off because <laughs> this is when the recession hit in a big way. And so here we are. We still had a house in Florida that we were in the process of doing something with. We ended up losing everything. And so I'm laid off here. I'm trying to follow Jesus, put my family as a number one priority in my life, because that is your primary ministry, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever we had left in terms of stability. And here we are. This is for Obama before Obamacare and all that other stuff. So now it's like, okay, now I don't have health care for my wife. Wow. Even with copays and everything else, a quarter of our income was going to her health stuff. Let me interrupt you and just summarize what I understand so far is you've got years of this experience with your wife. Things are so bad, you have to bathe her. And finally, around two in the afternoon, when the medicine kicks in, she's able to start helping. You're working six days a week, 50 hours a week, two little kids also. Then you decide to take a job from Florida and move to California in the meantime, you've got a home in Florida. Does that get foreclosed on? Yes. We completely lost everything. So the home in Florida is gone. You're in California. Four months later, you get laid off. Now what happens? Well, I get invited to this conference and I go. I'm trying to figure out what our next move is ministry-wise and everything else. I believed we were in the right spot and, I, and we'd been saying yes to God. But I go to this conference and man, there was just nothing happening. And I had a terrible attitude. It's an interesting thing because everything had fallen apart, but there was a little bit of pride and arrogance still because the reality was, is that I'd gotten to be a part of some things that most people hadn't. So I'm in there and there's a little bit of criticism in my heart, but I was in a really negative place and I called my wife and I was like, Hey, sorry, this has taken me away. It looks like I've got to ride home because I'd went up there with some people and I'd gotten a free hotel stay with these guys with who were snoring and had stinky feet. <laughs> and so everything, it's like everything was so bad about this thing. 
And I thought I had a ride back to get home at least before the last session in the afternoon. And what ends up happening is that my ride comes to me and she says, Hey, I think I'm going to stick around tonight and listen to the final speaker. It's, it's going to be this guy named Bob Ober. And I didn't say it out loud, but internally I'm like, who the heck is Bob Ober? Like, <laughs> what kind of a name is that? It's not a headline name. I'd never heard of him before. But she says, we're going to stick around to tonight and listen to this guy. Well, this is hours later. I end up calling my wife and I'm like, listen, I'm sorry. I'm stuck here. And I'm sorry, this conference has been a wash, but you know, I'm going to do my best as soon as this thing is over with to go. Well, he gets up there and he speaks and he talks about two things that really got my attention. One is he starts talking about the father's love. And when he starts talking about the father's love, I'm like, well, I've never even heard this before. How have I missed this? And he was talking about really encountering God's love. And I realized that I had such a performance orientation in my life that it was all about success and packing it in again the next week and all of these other kinds of things that basically if all of these people are responding, if the house is full, Mm -hmm. then God's pleased. That's the way that I felt. You're blessed and God's pleased. And if it wasn't going that well, then God must not be pleased, you know? Mm -hmm. So anyway, I'd heard that part, but then he starts telling some of these stories and crazy healing stories and different things. It was like the Jesus stories had never stopped and that was happening in his life. And so what ends up happening was like, I'm going to go up for prayer when they have prayer. And so I go up for prayer. I got a little goose pimples, but not much. All I know is I look over at Bob and everybody who he's praying for, it's a completely different experience. And I'm like, I got to get this guy to pray for my wife. (laughs) And so I end up navigating through the crowd and sometimes stepping over bodies to get to him because there was all these people who he'd been praying for. And I said, listen, Bob. And I just briefly tell him our story. Listen, we've been pursuing God. Everything's just falling apart. And my wife's sick. So I'm like, I have enough faith that if you just prayed for her over the phone, that something could happen. And he goes, Paul, I, I come through San Diego every now and then. I can pray for your wife. He said, but God's not done with you. Let me pray for you. Let's go. And I'm kind of <laughs> like, yeah. And I'm thinking, well, I just got prayer. And I'm like, okay, if that makes you feel good. That was my internal posture because there's no expectation. I mean, you got to think about we're years, we're almost a decade into sickness and everything else. I'd really been through a lot because sometimes ministry really takes a toll on you. We'd lost everything. I had nothing left. And we were trying to figure out how we're going to live in California because we have no money and my rent's almost three grand a month. So what are we going to do? And he prays for me. And I don't remember anything being profound about the prayer, but I encountered God so powerfully in that moment. It was like the years of, it was the years of the, the heaviness, the challenges, the disappointments. And, you know, I'd pray for my wife thousands of times, probably. Sometimes you go through seasons where you just can't even pray anymore because you're like, okay, this isn't even working or whatever. And I would say that our friends and the people that we had known, I wouldn't say that they were necessarily leaning in because what are you going to do? You pray once, you pray twice, you pray three times, then you start changing your theology. Because I think that a lot of us have doctrines and belief systems and thoughts that our circumstances are dictating who God is and what his will is. And it alters our promises so that we end up looking at some of the things that Jesus says. And instead of believing him and taking it face value, what he's saying A lot of times we allow our circumstances to dictate truth instead of his truth until our circumstances change. And so anyway, what ends up happening, he prays for me and I had no expectation. I had a terrible attitude. 
I wasn't in sin in my life, but I was just done. And all I know is, is that God met me so powerfully in that moment. It changed everything. I literally felt the years and all of this stuff. And if you would have looked at me back then in that day, I looked 10 years older than in that moment because of all the stress and all the wear and tear. And I could barely walk out of that place that night. And for the next three days, my body literally trembled. I remember when I got home and I told my wife my experience, I said, babe, I think I know what you're missing. And I think it's the father's love. We've tried to serve him and we've tried to pursue and everything else, but we realized that at the heart of everything is an intimate relationship with God where we know that we're loved because every one of us, the reality is, is that Jesus didn't die on the cross because we were junk and because we were trash or garbage. He died on the cross because every one of us who are sitting here today have extraordinary value. He wasn't a bad investor because it wouldn't make any sense for you to bankrupt heaven for something that's worthless. Now, God sees something in us, and he knows us better than we know ourselves. A lot of times when you have just a sin-salvation worldview in your life, that the only thing that you ever get from Jesus is his forgiveness, and you never walk into any sort of confidence in your life past that. Mm-hmm. And that love was the only reason that, that we were created before the foundation of the world, that God loved us. He conceived us in love. It was in the desire of his heart. He makes us. And a lot of us have never had that encounter. So when I did, and I went back and I told my wife, and you know, like I said, I trembled for the next three days after that. Within six months, my wife ended up going to a conference with the same guy. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to find a way to get you there. I don't know how we're going to do it or anything else. She ends up going there. And I remember when she had encountered God in the same way like me, I pulled up to to the curb to pick her up from the airport and you could have picked her out of the hundreds of people who are all waiting. You would have seen her because she looked like the glow. When they talk about the glow of Moses, you could see it on my wife. You could pick my wife out of the crowd and say, there's something has shifted. She was taking about 13 medications a day changed. We realized how much our life revolved around her health all the time and everything that we could do and couldn't do, and everything changed. And this was the launching point. And really, I didn't realize how significant that was going to impact our life. We were happy to have our life back. And we're like, okay, what now, God? And I guess that's what ends up starting the next chapter of our life. What is your wife's name? Her name is Jessica. When Jessica went to see Bob and get prayed for by him, What was her experience? Can you share that? I think the important thing for us is that it's a both and with some of these things. I mean, sometimes people have prayer experiences, but sometimes what we find as we're going along is that we've got some, I don't know, we've got some bad ideas about God. Sometimes our circumstances have taught us so much that sometimes there's a hindrance to us even hearing God's voice or truly seeing him. And a lot of the conference was just really focused on knowing that God loves us Mm. and really unpacking some of those things and also realizing that some of the lies that we've believed as we went went along, because my wife had a lot of trauma growing up about everything that you can imagine that's traumatic. People talk about that a lot these days, but she'd experienced all of those things. And so what was happening over time is that she got in prayer a few times, but a lot of it was just ministry of God's love towards her. Obviously, she had some similar experiences, but she'd gotten prayed for for a few times. And then by the time it was all said and done, then she realized that she wasn't really 
in pain anymore. Wow. You know, a lot of times people will talk about, oh, you know, I think we have the picture of like the healing guy on stage. Yeah. This is the guy and this is his ministry or whatever. I think it was a little bit different for her. And that's one of the things that we've recognized over the years as well is that healing can come like that. It was a faith kind of thing. But the reality was for her that it was an encounter with God, with his love that ended up opening the door. And so that's what she was experiencing the entire time of God revealing himself as the father who loves her. And then what ends up happening in the process is that healing comes. That mm. healing is is the byproduct of God's love. Because what is it? I mean, when you go through trauma, you, you ultimately have a fight or flight fear response. When fears re- removed, and this is a thing, is that the prophecy from Zacharias about, and this is a Old Testament prophecy, was that one day that God's people are going to serve him without fear and that they will live from holiness in his presence. And I think that if anybody wants a God encounter, all you have to do is to go to the place of your greatest fears right now, because that's where you can always find an encounter. I think that what happens for people who are in trauma and a lot of sickness, and I'd say that probably 75 to 85% of sickness is psychosomatic. It's not in someone's head, but what we would understand is there's a lot of things that people have in their life that they think is normal. Like a lot of times people are like, you know, I don't really, I don't really have fear or trauma or stress or whatever. Well, if you have apprehension, if you have anxiety, if you have a lot of those different things, there's usually something behind it. And so what ends up happening is that when people encounter God's love, it's a it's a swap out, right? We're taking fear away and perfect love casts out fear. So that what ends up happening is that God's love gets in the spot where we've harbored fear. And you know what? The body does its natural thing. And after we encounter God's love and there's wholeness in your soul that comes A lot of times the byproduct is that the physical has to follow what's happening in there. You said that this started a whole new chapter in your life for you and Jessica after her healing. What happened next? Well, the biggest thing that happened was that me as a husband after those years, and you have to realize that when you have chronic illness that's going on in, in a marriage, and I guarantee you there are people who are listening right now, that there's chronic illness in your marriage right now, and it's creating a a wedge or a resentment and some different things that are going on in there. I tried to walk very closely with my wife, but sometimes when you have chronic illness, people just feel alone, especially my wife's a beautiful woman, and everybody has always said that. And that's like the worst when you have chronic illness and people are like, well, you look great. And so I tried to stand with my wife, but I was 100% healthy. So those were some challenges. And we would watch a lot of marriages crumble or divorces happen as a result of it. I felt like there was a grace because here's the thing is that anything that we go through in our life, God's will is not sickness. He doesn't put those things on people or anything else. I believe that God's a good father, but I believe that we're also at war in this world. And what we have to understand in the middle of these things is that even though that there are some bad things that happen to us, that God will find a way to give us authority in those circumstances so that in all of the years that I believe that I was faithful and walked alongside my wife, That there's an authority that I know that she and I walk in because we stayed faithful, that we continue to say yes and we, as best we could, that we press forward into what God had for us. So that what happened was after my wife got healed, I didn't know about the gifts of healing. 
I didn't know about faith. All I knew was, is that I had so much frustration with seeing anyone who was sick because I now knew God differently as a result of that encounter. And this is the truth for all of us, is that you're always going to live out of who you believe your father in heaven is. And if he's a harsh, oppressive father, then that's what's going to show up. You're going to look just like your father in heaven. If he's a critical father in your mind, then you're going to be a critical person. You're going to be a judgmental person or whatever. I think that all of us believe, well, God could do anything if he wanted to. Well, that's different than saying, here's what God wants to do, and here's what his will is. Here's what he is really like. Mm -hmm. And I wondered if my wife could have gotten healed years earlier, if we would have had maybe a theology and an understanding of him like that. And so what ends up happening is we start having these opportunities to pray for people. You know why? Because there's a lot of people who are sick. There's a lot of people who are in those places. And so a lot of it, though, was happening out on the streets. Like literally, we'd moved to this little area called Ocean Beach, and it's a retro hippie community. A lot of new agers, a lot of people who are at the end of the road, they're in major transition in their life. And so what ended up happening is out of that, and it was because there was a shift in the way that I saw God the Father. So that when I started going out, I was looking through a different lens at circumstances, at my own self and everything else. Whether it was prophetic or not, I can see sickness on people. Part of it is because I knew what it looked like being alongside my wife. When other people couldn't see it on her, I could, you know, mm-hmm. I knew what it looked like. So there'd be these opportunities that would start arising. Like even yesterday, I was at the gym and I look across the way and I see someone who's working there and, uh, and she did this little thing and I, and I knew that she had neck issues when she was in pain. So as I'm leaving, I walk up to her and I said, Hey, you look like you're in pain today. Are you okay? And I don't know this person. And she goes, Oh no, I'm fine. And I'm like, really? I said, well, what about your neck? And she says, yeah, I have neck pain. <laughs> so this person's <laughs> literally first telling me that she's fine. And so she says, no, I have neck pain. And I was like, well, listen, I'm just an everyday Christian, but we see a lot of people get healed. Would you be okay if I prayed for you? And she looked a little hesitant because she works there and everything. And I said, and here's how I'll do it. I'm not going to lay hands on you and I'm not going to make it awkward or whatever. We're just going to make it look like we're talking to each other and I'll pray that way. Is that cool for you? And she said, yeah. So I just said, Jesus, I asked that you'd bring your power and your presence upon, and I'll fill in the blank. You know, obviously I'd ask her name. Mm-hmm. I asked that you'd bring your love. And this is one thing that I always pray for people in the exact same way. Jesus, I shift the atmosphere and I ask that you would bring your love, your power, and your presence upon her, that she can feel you. And I speak to the neck right now and I command all pain to go. And God also gave me a word of knowledge while I was sitting there. I command anxiety and the heaviness to lift. And I command the neck to be healed and made whole right now, all the way from the base of the neck to the shoulders. As I was praying, God showed me some other parts that were affected. And it was about a 45-second prayer. And I said, so test it out. And she was like, right now? And I said, yeah. So she tests it out. And you can see the shock and the relief that had come upon her. (laughs) She couldn't even believe her neck got healed. You know, it was 45 seconds. What drives that and what sets that up? For me... Maybe I know a little bit more about gifts of faith and healing and how some of the dynamics work, because I believe that we started leaning into that so that we were more successful. But what happened in Ocean Beach in that very beginning was recognizing who the Father is, that of what his intention is. I mean, it's a little bit hard when God calls himself the healer, Jehovah Rapha, 
I mean, that's a pretty bold statement. You're like, okay, this is what my name is. You can call me by this name. So names actually mean something. We know that in Hebrew. And so what ended up happening for us was those things just like that. A lot of it was happening on the streets, a lot of it where we would meet people and then we start getting calls from people that knew us. Can you pray for us? And unintentionally, a healing ministry ends up coming out of it. We weren't trying to start a healing ministry or a prophetic ministry or any of those other things. All I knew was, is that this not only is God can or God could, this is actually who God is. Mm. And so we just started seeing everything to the point that we opened up a prayer room and we didn't attach it to a church. This is the interesting thing for me is I went back into corporate work during this time. I went and got a regular paycheck because we knew where we were supposed to be in San Diego. And some of the things that people were telling me during that time was, Paul, if you go to this area and you do ministry, you, you need to like stay away from any of the weird stuff of God. What you need to do is maybe do barbecues and have a beer with people and stuff like that and just talk to them about faith or whatever. Because in the area of San Diego that we were in, it was maybe... of those people were even going to church in that area. Well, God ends up doing the exact opposite because after my wife got healed, it was like, people have real needs. So we'd walk out on the beach and different things would happen or whatever. There's setups. I'd be standing in line at Starbucks and God would highlight people. And then I'd ask them and there'd be a conversation and there'd be a healing and God would touch them there. And I mean, it's significant because you see people crying and encountering God in, in a moment. And it got to where some of it's a low hanging fruit because you see someone with a wrist wrap or something like that. But when we opened up the prayer room, we had no money to do it. I was starting a business at the same time that I had a regular job. And uh, so we find this little strip mall and we are right next to all the new age shops. We're underneath the marijuana dispensary. <laughs> we didn't want to reach Christians because if you put a big steeple over, it's not going to reach the lost. It's going to reach more Christians. And I figure there's already places for them in this area. 99% of that area was not going to church. So what we would do, there was a farmer's market on Wednesdays. Now, this is going to offend some of you, but we put a sandwich sign out because there would be thousands of people walking past that just said, Free spiritual readings, dream interpretation, and physical healing. And we stuck <laughs> it out there. And so some people are like, can you can you say that? And I'm like, well, we're trying to figure out what these people would actually respond to. If we put free prayer, we did call the place the prayer room, but we were like, okay, we've, we're going to use their terminology or something like it because we're next to all these people who are charging hundreds of dollars to come get their palms read, to get their aura read to get whatever. Mm-hmm. And we're underneath a marijuana dispensary because that was what was on the second floor. And the crazy thing is, is the first week that we were open, we had three people come in. One of them was literally a clown. But the third person who came in was this Japanese lady. Now, listen, I'm still pretty new to this healing thing. So when she came in, she had migraine headaches and actively had a headache. And she had psoriasis on her arms. And the psoriasis was so bad, she literally had cuts on her arms because it would just be so dry that it would bust open and scars, and she'd had it for years. So one thing that I knew is I had faith for the headache. I didn't have faith for anything else because I'd never really seen like crazy stuff or anything else. But I said, God's going to heal your headache. <laughs> you know, I didn't really mention the psoriasis. <laughs> so I'm there with one of my friends and my wife, and we pray for her. And you know what? Unfortunately, her headache 
got healed immediately, which meant that we were going to have to pray for the psoriasis anyway. Right. So we pray for the psoriasis. And as we're praying, and thankfully she had her eyes closed, we had our eyes open because she would have seen the fear on my face and the and the unbelief, you know. <laughs> yeah. But we're praying for her. The redness starts going away on her skin, the inflammation in it. Where it's raised skin, it starts going down. The skin starts getting supple again. And then the cuts seal up like Wolverine on X-Men as we're praying for her. I'm loving this. As you were watching that happen, what was going through your mind, man? Complete unbelief because it was very sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Literally out of my mouth because I'm in shock myself. I said, holy crap, are you guys looking at this? And, <laughs> and they were like, yeah. And I told that woman, I said, open your eyes and look at what Jesus is doing to your arm. So so I'm. it's a spiritual moment, but, you know, I just am who I am. And we've never put on airs about those things. And so what ends up happening is she gets healed. She comes back the next week. Even her scars by the next week had completely disappeared. She has new arms. And this was the first week we were open down there. What ends up happening is in this new agey retro community that everybody told us was the graveyard of churches, the hallway would be packed before we would get in the room each week. Because I'll say this, the the new age community, the spiritual community, at least that was there, seemed to have more faith and were more open to some of these things about God. And so what ends up happening is that they're telling all their friends. I wouldn't say we're putting the other shops out of business. But I'll just say that they were using the space that was reserved for the other businesses for people to sit outside their little waiting area. Their waiting areas were being occupied by people who wanted to come in with us because we didn't take donations (laughs) and it was free. And we were accurate. We were more accurate. We were encouraging. We always told them on the front end. I was like, listen, we're just everyday Christians. We believe that Jesus was who he said that he was, that he still heals people today. And that he has something to say to you today. And it's going to be really encouraging. And so you might go to some of these new age shops and get bad news. There's going to be no bad news in here today. We want to see you encounter him and we want to see you get healed. And if that's okay with you, then we can do do it. If it's not, we understand. In three and a half years that we were in that spot, three people said, I'm not comfortable with this. Out of all of the who knows how many people that we served in that community during that time in a place that everybody said was hostile to the gospel and hostile to the church. Some of those people, we saw people get out of wheelchairs. We saw deaf ears open up. We saw about everything during that time and people giving their lives to Jesus on the spot because they had encountered the father for the first time. And that's the most significant thing because the greatest miracle is actually encountering him. And people giving their life to him. That's why we were there, ultimately. Not as an agenda. But you realize that. And I told some people this last night. In Acts 19, it said that the word of God increased and prevailed in Rome during the time of the Apostle Paul. So Acts 19, if you read it, it's like crazy stories. And this is the stories of, man, they start taking the handkerchiefs from Paul and they put it on people and people are getting healed and demons fly out of them. And what happens is, is that the people who are into the occult and everything else literally took all of their possessions that were related to the occult. And at the lowest end, 1.5 million up to about, up to about 3 billion, billion. This is how much in today's money it was 
This is their artifacts, their talismans, all of that other stuff. They burned them. They repented of their sins. They burned their stuff and they became Christians because of the fear of God that happened in there. And if you read the rest of Acts 19, they started putting people out of business who are craftsmen for those things. Mm -hmm. Now, what it says in that scripture was that the word of God increased and prevailed. So when it means prevailed, that this is how God turned everything upside down is because he showed himself in great power through healing and the miraculous. And that's what turned everything upside down. In the book, Converting Rome, the writer of that book started citing sources that were secular historians on that time. And they said that when Paul left Asia Minor, what drove the gospel throughout Rome and converted it was healing and miracles and that he actually said that the historians of that day said that when Paul left Asia Minor, they could not find a single sick person in the place. And that's what actually stirred the gospel to move forward. Now, that was the complete opposite of what I was told to do when I went to Ocean Beach. They were kind of like, hey, have beers with people, be normal, just talk to them about faith, have a logical conversation with them. Well, here's the problem is if you can argue people into faith, you can argue people out of it. The reality is, is that all we see in the history of the church in those beginning stages, yes, you need to know what your faith means, but the faith is not just a belief system and it's not morality that the just live by faith, which just simply means that there's going to be something tangible, demonstrable something powerful. And this is the way that God wants to encounter people. His desire from the beginning of time was to have a creation of his own in his image that he's in a relationship with. Christians need to encounter God and they need to encounter his love. When the lost encounter God's love, there's something that shifts and there's something that changes because now, you know what? It's hard to argue people out of an experience. It's yeah. easy to argue people out of a discussion about morality or whatever. I mean, look at the world right now, but we've got influencers, we've got social media, we've got media itself, TV shows, we've got politicians. Everybody's trying to tell people stuff and there's more information than we've ever had. And people are in a worse condition than they ever have. What was going to be the defining mark of following Jesus is a people who know the father and come into an intimate relationship that we were made for. And he manifests himself through us. But what is the defining mark of God's people is that we also walk in transformative power and that we have something to be able to bring and give to the world. And that's what has been a big part of our life. Now, granted, I own businesses. I work as a business person. I still have my hand really in ministry and in business. But at the same time is that Ministry and your vocation are not two different things. What we really understand in this is that it's a both and. Your ministry, 98% of the people who are listening right now are going to have a calling outside the four walls. God loves what he's called you to do and who he's called you to be, and it's not less sacred. There's no part of your life that is unsacred, and it means that we can enjoy the love of the Father in and his delight in how he's created us and wired us for what he's brought us to in the world to do in the world, and that we can also expect to hear God's voice for our businesses, for the people that we're around, and that we have a power source that is available to us. But faith is also spelled, as John Wimber said, R-I-S-K. 
that it means that sometimes you got to lean past the chicken line to know the father in a deeper way to watch him show up. And you know what? He delights to show up. Yes. You know, you have permission every day of your life to try to find the boundaries of Jesus' love for you. And good luck finding that because you know what? You're never going to find the boundary. You're going to find some scary places and the father's going to meet you in that place and he's going to show up for you. But one thing that I would encourage everyone is to walk into those places and allow God to encounter you in those places and don't withdraw from any promise that God's made in scripture. If Jesus has said it, uh, let's not try to downplay it and let's not try to act like when Jesus said, oh, you're going to do greater things than these, that he meant something else. This is the war against our faith that the enemy has tried to bring us to, to make us think that the only thing that Jesus died on the cross for was our forgiveness of sins. And that would be great if that's all he did, but that's not all he did. And Jesus paid too high of a price for us to live half of a gospel. And we want to live in everything that God's given us, starting with his love, which is the beginning place and is the beginning. It is the middle. It is the end. It's what we get in heaven for is to fully be in his presence. But right now you can have your core insecurity taken away in his love and live into it. There is going to be a day when there's going to be no more insecurity because we're going to see him face to face and we're going to know, but we're made for his glory right now. And we can experience greater measures and great levels of that as we lean in. You said the Christian life wasn't meant to be hard. It's meant to be impossible. Mm-hmm. What, what do you mean by that? Well, I stole that from some guy I heard say it years ago. But I think that what a lot of us haven't realized in our life is that the enemy in the Garden of Eden, just to make it a, give us a biblical narrative for it, Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, not because they were imperfect and not because they had a sin nature, but they were able to sin even with a perfect nature because of two things, because they believed a lie and because they had a free will to choose. And when they did, they ate of a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And and I think that we get tempted to do that all the time. The tree is always reasoning God's promises and reasoning out of what God's actually said. Like, if I pray for someone and they don't get well, then I usually come up with a reason for why they didn't, right? Or if I'm not living into more in my life, there's usually a reason. In most cases, we look at ourselves in this thing. And honestly, the reality is, is that that whole statement of Christian life wasn't meant to be hard, it was meant to be impossible is that I think our heart only comes from we don't realize what the resources of heaven are for us. We don't understand who our father is and what his delight is to give us the kingdom of God to see what his rule and reign is. Faith at the end of the day is simple trust in God. It's that Jesus made promises, that the father made promises to be a partaker of the divine nature is in his promises. So there's two fathers in this world, I should say. There's the father of lies and there's God the father. And you will submit to one. You will believe what one says to the exception because you can't serve two masters. And so where we withdraw in the impossibilities, if we're not confronting impossibilities, if we are withdrawing, if some of you who have been getting prayer for healing and you've given up on that, or you are tired, it's really easy. If you're tired, if you're exhausted, if you're critical, if you're judgmental, 
all of these things, if you're disappointed, if you have anxiety about who your president is or any of those other kinds of things, if you've withdrawn on the promises of God, it's because we've reasoned and we've ate from that other tree because we don't believe in the goodness of the father, because that's what it was for Adam and Eve. Maybe he didn't. Has he really said that? Mm-hmm. Did he really mean that? And how do you know that maybe he's withdrawing? Maybe he's withholding from you something that was really good. That was the basic lie that they went for in the very beginning. And this is what we sometimes let's say oftentimes get distracted by with God for what he has. So Christian life was never meant to be hard. It was meant to be impossible. Well, we're confronting impossibilities because, listen, if it's always within, and this is how we can test if we're walking this life with Jesus as he, as he called us to, if it can be done without the power of the Holy Spirit, we know that we're not living into what we're made for. And I think that what a lot of us are doing, that Christian life isn't meant to be hard, it's meant to be impossible. I think a lot of what what the church does these days, and I'm not knocking anything, I'm just trying to call us higher and encourage you. I think that a lot of what we do every day is good, moral, ethical, great works that we should be doing, but a lot of it could be accomplished by people who don't even believe in Jesus, and some people are actually doing it better than we're doing it. I want to see the fruit, because Jesus is returning, and he's looking for a pure and spotless bride, and, and he's looking for faith. Faith is just, again, simply out of intimacy with God, I learn that I can trust him. It's okay to have some doubts. It's okay to have fear in places where God hasn't shown up. I'm not criticizing that. That's where we get our faith from is just being intimate with him. And when you take some risk, you realize that God shows up every time and you can trust him. But the real glory of God comes when he starts doing things that none of us can take any credit for. They were like, man, I have no idea. You know, I think about that lady that we prayed for. I wasn't even going to pray for her psoriasis. It just happened that her headache got healed really quickly. And I'm like, dang it. Now I'm going to have to pray for this woman's psoriasis. Now what are we going to do? And what am I going to tell her when she doesn't get healed? Those are the things that were going through my mind. And then God shows up and does it. And you know what? For the next three days after that, I called my wife and I called my friend. And I was like, did that really happen? Like, am I lying to myself? Like, I know what I saw, but my brain can't even comprehend what I saw. This is the glory of God because he gets the full glory when we live there. So I do. I want to lean into those kinds of things. I think that we are in an age of unbelief like no other, particularly in this country. And it is going to require those kinds of things that I watched a young person the other day. I was in a tattoo parlor. And, and what ends up happening is there's this person that I knew that was getting this tattoo. And I love being around that because I realized that these people are marking themselves with something that they believe is significant for them. And I watched someone getting a satanic tattoo across the way. And I was heartbroken over that because I'm like, man, I know that at the heart of this person is that they're in fear and they're looking for an answer and they're looking for help. And they think that God the Father is not enough for them to help them. Where did they get that wrong idea? They're seeking the one now that has deceived them. And I just know that the world is is hungry for an encounter with God. And we need something that what I would say is an attestation for what we believe. That is the statement, is that we were supposed to preach a gospel unto power, not unto an argument and Mm -hmm. not unto just truth that I'm going to try to have a better argument with you for something else. The apostle Paul tried to do that one time 
It's when he went to Mars Hill and he thinks, well, you know what I'm going to do? These are very educated people and everything and philosophical. I'm going to try to reach them on this level after all the success that he had had in other places. And he tried to do it and he failed miserably. And I think he only got just a few converts out of that, out of a life that everywhere that he went, he saw Ephesus rocked and all of these other places. And he learned from that lesson. Some of us think that Mars Hill was like, oh, this is the way that you're supposed to do it. Look at his results. We need something more in this time, in modern time, of God showing up and doing things more than ever, probably, because it's going to be the only thing that separates us from everybody else's argument. And so the impossible, I believe, is what we're supposed to bring forth to God as, as fruit of everything that Jesus gave his life for. He went to the fullest extent, and I want to go to the fullest extent in my life to actually believe that and to honor what he's done. Yes. You know, I'd, I'd like to finish with this quote. I don't know the source, but it's one of my favorite quotes, and it's what you've been speaking about here. And it's this, a man with experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. Amen. Right? How can people find out more about you, Paul? Well, I think probably the easiest place to just kind of get a connection to maybe everything that I'm that I do is just my website's pauldabdu.com. And all it is is a hub for links to various different things. So okay. you'll find a link to some of the ministry stuff that we're we're doing. You'll find a link to a couple of the businesses. I, I actually work as an executive and team performance coach. And so that means that I get to go into businesses. I get to help executives get breakthrough in their life. And my businesses, as far as those are concerned, are not just Christian businesses in name or anything else. I'm not a quote unquote Christian coach or whatever. I, I coach everybody. But I also watch God do a lot of these same things everywhere that I go as well. Hmm. And so so I do that. I also train coaches and I help them start their businesses. And so I've trained thousands of coaches at this point globally that help them get trained and certified and get their businesses up and going. And so that's where the focus of, of all those things have been on the business end. Because I also, knowing the father, he works a very blessed thing. Adam and Eve had jobs. And God wants us to be able to create and do things. And so it's my pleasure to be able to enter that space six days out of the week to be able to help people get to the next level, hear from God, get really clear what what their next steps are in life. And so anyway, pauldabdu.com. As we finish, we'd love to have you pray for our listeners, Paul. Yeah, let's do it. Jesus, I ask that you'd bring your power and your presence right now on everyone who's listening. And God, I thank you that you're timeless and you're everywhere. And regardless, if this is being listened to in a year from now, and regardless of where anyone is driving, wherever they're at in their life, God, I thank you that you are present in this moment because you ordain the moment that people are hearing this right now. And so in the name of Jesus, I speak a shift in the atmosphere where you are right now, that you would come into the power and presence of God right now. I speak over you in the name of Jesus that the Father loves you and he is delighted in you and he's called you for greatness. He's first called you to know him and to also know what you were created for. And I speak a blessing on your life right now that right now that you would begin to have your eyes open to the love, the depth and the height and the width of God's love that you would come into an encounter and full understanding of what that is. And I speak in alignment right now around your life that everywhere that you would look, that you'd begin to see the people and to see the resources that God has gathered around you for what he has called you into. 
I speak a blessing over you right now to have your spiritual ears and your eyes to be open to know the love of God and to know the calling that he's, that he's marked you with over your life. You're a treasure to the Father. You're a deserving son and daughter because Jesus says that you are. And so come into the fullness of what he's made you for. He's made you for more. I speak a catalytic moment to even happen right now that any of the funk and any of the distraction and any of the dullness of ears or eyes to be removed right now in Jesus' name so that you come fully into what you were made for. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Paul. So good to hear your story. So powerful. Thank you, Brian. Again, it was an honor being on here with you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.